if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And hour number two is underway at 10 minutes past 10. Thanks for being with us. It's a Tuesday, the fifth morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2020. And we continue our discussion of what is going on, not just nationwide, not just in the state of Ohio and nationwide with respect to the national shutdown in the wake of a fear-mongered uh, pandemic. And that's really what it is. Fear-mongering is driving the decisions, not health. Uh, but also... The health of the country as it pertains to its top officials, particularly its law enforcement officials, the FBI, uh, coming under heavy, heavy scrutiny for its treatment of uh, former National Security Director, or advisor rather, General Michael Flynn, of course, was fired by the Trump administration for perceived lying. And uh, there has been a mountain of new evidence that has been uncovered in recent days. And we're going to talk about all of that now with our friend Peter Kirsten. Now, Peter is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. That should matter to everybody right now. He's also, of course, <clears throat> a Cleveland attorney, a best-selling author, and the host of the Kirstenau Report here on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, good morning, my friend. How are you? Doing great, Bob. 124 days until the Browns open up against the Baltimore Ravens. They're going to notch a win, and I expect that they're going to go at least 9-7. and seven. J.K. Dobbins uh, with the Ravens doesn't <laughs> that doesn't bode well. I don't think for everybody else. <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice pick, right? Right there by the Ravens. That's a very very strong uh, strong pick. They're going to be better uh, than they were last year. But let's let's hope you are right, Peter Kirsten. Now, before we get uh, rolling here, I want you to listen to Tom Fitton, who is uh, the president of Judicial Watch. He was talking to Lou Dobbs about what was done to General Michael Flynn and uh, uh, what Christopher Ray and uh, the FBI has. Um, has to say about it. The worst corruption in the FBI's history, arguably, has been around the abuse of Trump, people like General Flynn and others. And um, FBI Director Ray just gives it a shrug of his shoulder, saying, well, we'll actually, we'll have better training of our FBI agents, uh, who really had nothing to do with it, in the sense that it was the FBI leadership at the top levels in D.C. Uh, that were pushing this uh, corruption through the corrupt FISA uh, process. He knew or should have known about what went on with Flynn. Right now, there's 8,000 documents, 8,000 pages of records they are still sitting on between page and struck emails. The FBI under Ray has taken the position that, that no text messages that Page sent out, Strzok sent out, McCabe sent out, mm -hmm. or anyone else sent out, is subject to FOIA. The cover-up is continuing under Director Ray. 
to me it's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Attorney General Barr needs to step in and just take the documents. So, uh, Peter, there's a lot here, obviously, and I think what uh, shocked a lot of people last week, and we've been discussing it, is the fact that there were footnotes, margin notes uh, from the FBI's uh, FBI investigators, including Strzok and Page, that said, what is our goal here from interviewing uh, Flynn again? And that is, is it to find the truth, they said, or to get him to lie so we can get him fired and prosecute him, which, of course, would be a part of taking down of the Trump administration because they didn't like the outcome of the election. So there's a lot of uh, grist for the mill here. Take it away. Well, you know, I said at the outset of this that this was the greatest scandal in American political history, and it only gets worse. You know, when you look at all of the reporting on this over the last three years, or lack thereof, I mean, they were selling us the narrative, the mainstream media was, and many of us, I, I would say that most conservatives had already sensed a long time ago that something was seriously wrong here, and it's just confirming what we believed. But one thing that's been absent, or at least to a large extent absent, even in reporting from conservative circles, or not reporting from conservative circles, but from many conservative commentators, is tying this all the way back to the President of the United States, Barack Obama. None of this could even conceivably have occurred without his go-ahead. The fact is that remember <clears throat> what was revealed in the last week. That is that the agents who interviewed uh, Flynn, well, we knew this, they concluded he hadn't lied, but they were going to shut down the investigation because there was no derogatory, by that meaning no adverse information about Flynn. In other words, there was no there there. Then what happens? On January 4th of 2017, the infamous Peter Strzok texts them furiously, series of, of, of texts, saying, hey, wait a minute, have you closed this down yet? Hold off, hold off. Then the next day is that infamous meeting in the White House with Obama, Biden is there, Comey is there, Susan Rice is there, and a host of other FBI folks, uh, top-level folks. And at that meeting, you may remember that later on, on Inauguration Day, Susan Rice sends the mother of all CYA cover emails uh, to herself, where she said that in that That's meeting, classic. Obama said, do everything by the book. Immediately after that meeting, in which everything purportedly was done by that book, they go after Flynn again. And consider also, and I think Andy McCarthy's talked about this a little bit in others, but Obama had told President Trump coming in that there were two people he had to be concerned about. You know, it's been reported, he said, um, uh, Kim Jong-un and Michael Flynn. Why? Because Michael Flynn was a real burr in the saddle of the Obama administration. He put the lie to their claim that they had al-Qaeda on the run. That was one of their prime uh, talking points during the re-election campaign for Obama. Remember that? And also because he was hypercritical of the Iran nuke deal. He was in the Obama administration at the time. There was, it was no secret that Obama, the Obama administration, despised Flynn. And now it turns out, what were they trying to do? They were trying to, as they put it in that handwritten memo, either get him to make an admission or to get him fired or prosecuted, prosecuted right? right? Get him to make an admission or lie again. This is an extraordinary set of events. Uh, this is by 
are the greatest political scandal in American history. And this is just one component of it. There are multiple components in it that implicate so many top-level people at the FBI and the CIA and the national, uh, the, the, the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, Clapper. Um, what we had, and it's becoming, you know, many people were kind of casually saying that this was an attempted coup um, years ago. And, you know, there wasn't necessarily hard evidence of that, although we suspected that. There really is very little you can say about this that dismisses the fact that this was an attempted coup. First, they attempted to prevent Trump from being elected by means of the Steele dossier. Mm-hmm. Then what they tried to do was actually overturn the election and or impede him hamstring him severely, and it's an ongoing effort. We see it with Schiff. We see it with the Ukraine issue, we, you know, the way they're politicizing COVID-19. But the matter with respect to Flynn is a national travesty. A decorated war hero, lieutenant general, three-star general, um, extraordinary thing what they've done, done, did nothing but be a patriot, and they bankrupted this individual, put him through all kinds of hell for three years. This is not the way you want to conclude your career or your Lost life. Lost his home, didn't he? I mean, he, he had to sell his home in order to pay the attorneys that he had to hire to defend him uh, in, uh, against the FBI, which set this perjury trap for him, trying to uh, try to find a way to discredit him and thus the Trump administration. And, and as Andy, Andy McCarthy wrote, Pete, um, you mentioned him a moment ago for National Review, this wasn't retribution. Uh, they set him up and tried to get him uh, to take this fall in order to justify the Trump and per- and preserve the Trump uh, Russia probe. This is this was the headline uh, in, in our own. Andy yeah. goes on to great lengths to explain that what what this did and what the reason for this was is to make sure that they could undo the election and actually remove Trump by proving collusion with Russia. That probe was going to die if they did not get Flynn uh, in some way. So that's a big big part of this, and because of their goal to, uh, as you said earlier, to you know invalidate an election or to overturn an election because they didn't like it. They were willing to destroy this man's life, reputation, his family, his home. Uh, literally, is broke now, uh, and all he did was for thirty years serve the United States of America faithfully as uh, as uh, in in the military, and it's just it's it's beyond shameful. Right, it should enrage and chill all Americans and. I would just add as a codicil to what Andy had to say. I think it's both, actually. I think he's exactly right. I read his article uh, that this was actually an attempt to get him out of the way so that he could engage in their coup. But I also think it's a twofer. You can do both at the same time. They despised Flynn and wanted to go after him. They wanted. They clearly wanted to destroy him. They, they didn't have to, in other words, do everything they did to Michael Flynn in order to accomplish the first objective of engaging in the coup against Donald Trump extraordinary set of events should never occur in the United States. And it's only one component of the greatest political scandal in American history, which is ongoing. And when one scandal or attempted coup attempt fails, they move on to plan B, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's trying to politicize COVID, it's, it's, it's truly extraordinary. And it also tells you where the real power is in this country. The American people had rejected Everything mainstream media and all the right and smart people said, that is, we should vote for a Hillary Clinton, and went with the Donald Trump for a good reason. We've got a lot of uh, you know reasons for it, and we have not enough time to talk about that. So the American people did precisely the opposite of what our betters told them, and now they're going after 
uh, him a second time. We've got in a third time and a fourth time. We had the shifting queries. It goes on and on and on. Truly an extraordinary set of events that Americans need to be alarmed about and need to take action against those responsible. I think Barr is doing his part. I think other individuals within the government need to really speed this up a little bit more because yeah. it's been going on for three and a half years and what the Democrats are attempting to do is run out the clock. The Democrats and the media with, with the assistance of the media are trying to run out the clock and hope that somehow they can depose Trump in November. And I'm not I'm sure still, they're going to do it with Biden. Yeah, I'm, I'm still, Pete, uh, just just uh, frustrated and and confused as to why Christopher Wray uh, was, was handpicked by the yep. president. He did the right thing in firing James Comey for obviously all of the right reasons. Then he picked a guy who is absolutely, well, I don't want to say he's no better, but he is not doing anything to rectify the situation. He is not doing, has not done anything uh, to bring justice here for Michael Flynn or anybody else. He's allowing this to continue, and that's uh, that's something I don't understand. Uh, we're going to pivot, Pete, uh, after this short time out. We're going to go back to the lockdown. Uh, there are new twists and turns being taken every single day here in Ohio and around the country. We'll get your thoughts on that as we continue on AM 1420 The Answer. Ten twenty-five. We continue now with Peter Kersenow, uh joining us on AM 1420, The Answer, with some analysis. Pete, I don't want to play it again because I'd take two minutes out of your answer time, uh, but hopefully you heard it. Um, Jack Windsor is a reporter out of Mansfield who um, asked an extraordinarily important question of Governor Mike DeWine in Friday during Friday's press briefing. And his, answer, his question was, considering how well we have flattened the curve and our hospitals are empty and uh, health care professionals have been laid off, et cetera, et cetera, he said, can you give us direct evidence, not not circumstantial, but direct evidence uh, um, behind the rationale and the reasoning, justification, if you will, for keeping the emergency order in place, the state of emergency that is justifying allowing Dr. Amy Acton to call all the shots with all of the orders here. Give us direct evidence that we are still in severe danger. And his answer was the biggest, uh, I mean, I can't even describe, he was like a contortionist on America's Got Talent, the way he twisted himself in a pretzel trying to avoid that question, because he literally had no answer. Uh, Pete, he, there is no yep. justification that he could point to to keep this order in place, given the statistics that we have and what we know about this virus in the state of Ohio. Your thoughts? Yeah, um, I did hear that interview, and it was perhaps the best question posed to any elected official since this began. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that reporter may also be a lawyer, or I'm not sure of that. But I don't know if he is. I know DeWine called him one. DeWine said, you're yes. probably a better lawyer than I am. I don't know if he is or not, well, but I'm going to find out. I'm actually in contact with Jack Windsor. But. Yeah, he, maybe he doesn't have a law degree, but he's able to think his way out of a paper bag pretty well, which, uh, unfortunately, so many reporters have failed to do because they've just gone with the conventional uh, mainstream wisdom that a lockdown is what's necessary. You can't protest a lockdown. You know, you're you're uh, uh, somebody who's vile and despicable if you think that uh, people should have a right to engage in certain activity and, you know, get some evidence as to why it is that these various states have come up with these, frankly, draconian measures. We all know this is a serious disease. We all know you can die from it. The fact, though, is I believe many, if not most of these states that still have lockdowns have far exceeded their authority. One of the reasons why he asked the question about the direct evidence as to, you know, whether or not there's a real justification for this is, number one, uh, nobody's really probed anybody on that 
from the media, at least any responsible elected official on that at the state level. Mm-hmm. And number two is because the powers of the executive, the state executive, the emergency powers, the police powers to preserve health and safety are pretty broad. But nonetheless, they are subject to constitutional constrictions and also that there has to be a reasonable justification for them. That's the key. You can't simply uh, impose these draconian lockdown measures without them being reasonable in scope to achieve their purported objective. What we don't have here is a stable objective. You know, we keep hearing different reasons for the lockdown. At first, it was flatten the curve. That was the broadly understood reason for engaging in all these lockdowns. But then, as a number of people have noticed, these have evolved very, very subtly so that we flatten the curve in most states now. In in many cases, it's not just flat, but going down. Yet, it seems as if these lockdown measures are increasing in scope. Yeah, some of them have been uh, lifted, of course, and there have been some uh, pullbacks here and there. Some are getting way tighter, but, though. You're right. Some are getting way tighter, and that's what's insane about this. As as you as you know, as we've already flattened the curve and kind of met the the standard that was put before us, which is make sure the hospitals aren't overrun. Okay, they're not. So why are we making things tighter, including with these mask uh, uh, mandates uh, around the country? Right, and uh, so I think that in many cases, especially Michigan, to me is a no brainer. <laughs> The executive has far exceeded their authority under the police powers of the state, and I'm hopeful that some lawsuits are brought, not only because they need to be done now, temporarily be done now, because extraordinary damage is being done by these orders, but also to preserve our liberties for the future. I mean, this sets precedent, and if it's not legal precedent, it's behavioral precedent, because people start getting used to this as Americans. Bob, you and I a couple of weeks ago talked about the fact that one of the things that appalled me the most about the whole coronavirus situation was the alacrity with which so many institutions and Americans seem to abdicate our rights. Again, we understand the reasons for some of these things, but abdicated them with very little pushback. It alarmed the heck out of me. I thought we were Americans. Yes. We are also law-abiding, and we want to do what's right for our fellow citizens, and we want to be smart about how we're going to comport ourselves. But doing so without a preliminary pause to say, does this make sense in the first place? And second of all, is it lawful? Is it constitutional? It's, it's, uh, that's very troubling. And when we look at this, I think we are fast coming to the conclusion that this may be maybe the greatest peacetime public policy blunder in history. We have taken a sledgehammer when a scalpel is necessary. We've had these broad lockdowns that we want to save lives, but we could do so in the uh, in in a much more intelligent fashion that a number of states have done. Florida, for example, is probably the closest to with DeSantis closest to doing these things in an intelligent fashion. But when we look at what the at risk groups are, what we did is we took this broad approach and. We tried to save lives, laudable, but we had 30 million-plus people lose their jobs as a result, and I would argue that that was not necessary. Yes. And counting. Anyway, and I completely agree. Uh, Pete, I want to continue this conversation right after the news on AM 1420, The Answer.
1036 now. We continue on AM 1420. The answer, our guest is Peter Kersenow, our regular Tuesday guest. Peter Cleveland, attorney, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, an all-around deep thinker. Um, hey, Pete, uh, I want you to listen because we were just talking about the restrictions and how, while they are loosening in some places, they are being tightened and actually being cracked down upon in other places, including Chicago, where Mayor Lori Lightfoot had this to say about people who dared to want to, I don't know, spend time with other people. Direct to Superintendent Brown to order all police district to give special attention to these parties. And this is how it's going to be. We will shut you down. We will cite you, and if we need to, we will arrest you, and we will take you to jail. Period. The time for educating people into compliance is over. Don't be stupid. Don't come out. Don't advertise on social media. We're watching you. We're watching you is the part that got me because I could not help but think of the poster of Big Brother and, uh, and, and the recognition that we are watching you. We will grab you. We will take you to jail for forceful educational compliance. She said the time actually for educational compliance is over. Now it's going to turn to force. But I was just thinking about the re-education center. I was thinking about room 101. Pete, you know, this is, this is getting to be out of hand. They're literally talking about throwing people in jail after they're emptying jails of real criminals because of the threat of COVID in the jails. Somebody make sense of that for me. Well, you can't make sense of it. Uh, Miss Lori lightweight there, who all of a sudden believes that she is some type of a dictator. And the people of Chicago, I look, uh, I've got relatives in Chicago. I wish that some of them would start to act more like the Minutemen. I don't mean be violent or anything of that nature, but to take that kind of remonstration from an elected official. This person is merely an elected official. That's all we have are elected officials. We don't have dictators, fortunately, in this country. We don't have kings. And she's issuing these edicts, and she does so in such a peremptory fashion uh, as if she knows she is right. This is unforgivable, and more Americans need to protest that. I don't mean protest that in a violent Don't forget fashion. the hypocritical portion of that, too, Pete. Uh, you know, in addition to perfunctory oh, yeah. fashion. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, here, here listen, listen to that part. You remember this, right? Because she's telling everybody uh, the time for educational compliance is over. She, she and they in the, in the state of Illinois closed... Uh, the, uh, the salons, the hair salons, just like a lot of other states did, but that didn't stop her from going out and getting a hair appointment and then saying this. Face of the city. I'm on national media and I'm out in the public eye. And, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a person who I take my personal hygiene very seriously. As I said, I felt like I needed to um, have a haircut. I'm not able to do that myself. And so I got a haircut. She's the face of the city. She takes her hygiene seriously. She is uh, personally concerned about how she appears as the face of the city, especially if she goes on national television. I guess none of those things apply to the plebes, right? You don't you don't get to take your yeah. hygiene seriously. You don't get to look nice in public. Um, you might you might not be the face of the city, but you may be the face of I don't know yourself. You don't get to have this uh, again. What is right for me is not right for thee. Yeah, divine right of king. She acts as if she's royalty. Uh, and again, Americans need to watch this closely. It, it, yeah, we are seeing some of our rights eroded, no doubt about that. We're paying attention to that. But take a look at the totalitarian impulse. And I don't mean to say that lightly. 
take a look at the impulse to exercise power in ways that you cannot, the, the various constitutions of the state and of the federal government do not invest in her the right to just peremptorily say these kinds of, and do these kinds of things, issue these edicts. This is the kind of thing that will persist. It's like, Bob, it's, you know, I hate to use the overworn analogy of the frog in the pot on the stove, but this is one of those inflection points in history where if we do this without resistance, I don't mean physical violence or anything like that, but with real resistance, just as it could be simple as questioning the, the uh, governor as the reporter from Mansfield did. Yeah. It could be questioning the police when they're coming to take your, your uh, uh, or coming to tell you to close down a party or something of that nature. Not, you know, being disobedient or anything of that nature, but exercising ordinary norms of resistance against this kind of power grab. Keep in mind that the enormous damage this is being done, not only to our system of governance, our society in terms of what we perceive ourselves as Americans to be and have thought ourselves to be over the last couple of centuries. But the, the damage that's being done to our economy is is extraordinary here, and it, it's just astonishing to me that there is is not more alarm about that, especially when, at least since the beginning of, of April, the evidence has been accumulating rapidly that these broad based shutdowns were unnecessary. Not that, you know, some measures, some shutdowns may not be necessary, or in certain locations, or quarantining certain vulnerable populations, but again, we took a sledgehammer when a scalpel should be, should have been used, and the damage is, I can't even begin to fathom it. One, One data point, Bob, you probably saw, we talked, I think, last week or the week before, about the testing that was done at the Marion Crest Correctional Institution. Yeah. Uh, but also now there have been a number of states, Ohio, Virginia, North Carolina, I believe it was Alabama, Tennessee, that have tested a number of inmates. And you just alluded to in the fact that a lot of these blue states or blue uh, mayors have been releasing criminals from jail because they, they thought that these guys were vulnerable because they're, you know, in close quarters. They're confined. <clears throat> but when they tested these inmates, what was found was astonishing. It, it astonished everybody. 3,277 of these inmates tested positive, but 96.4 of them were completely asymptomatic, okay? Now, there's a lot to be said about that, but one of the mm-hmm. things to be said, my point on this, is that this is that that really affects what we perceive to be the mortality rate from this disease. Another thing is, you know, one of my favorite blog sites, and I know you've seen it, and I've got friends that run it, is Powerline. I would encourage everybody to take a look at it. Powerline just yeah, takes a look at one state. Minnesota, that is not necessarily um, representative of the entire country because its demographics are different, but it's nonetheless, we've been watching this thing consistently. And the average age of decedents from coronavirus in Minnesota is 83. Now think about that. That is actually a little bit greater than the average life expectancy of Americans. 83 is the average age. Not only that, but 80% of the people who died from coronavirus were in nursing homes. And the overwhelming majority, and I don't have a, a, a percentage for you, Bob, but it's something like, I don't know, it's 90%, have underlying conditions. Hardly anybody under the age of 45 was affected. And those things, that, that's a little peculiar for Minnesota. I mean, those types of numbers don't necessarily translate broadly in America, but they're close. That's the point. In almost all of America, it is confined 
mainly to half the deaths in cases are mainly in the New York metropolitan area, northern New Jersey, Connecticut. So we have a demographic or a geographic scope where we could limit it. And number two is among age groups and those with underlying conditions. We didn't have to lock down the entire country, but we're doing so. And these power-drunk mayors and governors are subjecting us not only to deprivations of our liberties and rights, but also they're depriving us of economic sustenance. And this is going to be affected. It's going to be realized for a number of years to come. Very troubling. In a lot of ways, uh, Pete, I have two things to respond to that with. One is uh, about another state uh, and another example of the overreaction, and more, more importantly, the the, um, the the power grab. I think they enjoy this power. This is one thing I've always said about government. And I know you feel the same way too. When is the last time you've seen the government take something from the people and then give it back? It just doesn't work. Once they get it and they have control, uh, they use it. And in Oregon, here's an example: the, the governor of Oregon just extended their state of emergency for 60 more days to July 6th. This is a state, this is important, this is a state that has 4.2 million people. They've had 104 COVID deaths at the time of that announcement. That means the entire state is going to be under that tyrannical control for another 60 days for a virus that has killed 0.002% of its population. That's not 2%. That's not two-tenths of a percent. That's two-hundredths of a percent of the population. So, Pete, uh, that's just another example of, again, what justification would there be? And then I want to go a little bit back into what you said about um, how broad these uh, rules have have been put in place. For example, Amy Acton and Mike DeWine making this declaration uh, for the entire state that the order is being extended until May 29th when... County commissioners and commissioners in Ashland, for example, are saying, you know, we've got doctors here, too. The Ashland County, uh, I'm reading a letter that was sent to Mike DeWine. Ashland County commissioners are requesting you empower our local health department and our elected officials to make the right decisions for our community. As of today, May 4th, 10 a.m., our county statistics are 10 confirmed cases, no hospitalizations, zero deaths. Why shouldn't? the leadership of Ashland County, of Cuyahoga County, Medina, Portage County. Why shouldn't they be able to make up their own minds whether or not they're going to allow businesses to be open? Why should there be a broadsword being wielded by Dr. Labcoat here? Yeah, and that's why this is going to go down as the greatest uh, peacetime political blunder in history because we are, as I said, we're using a blunder bus and not being surgical in the application of this and destroying the lives of millions of people. I, what's, what's amazing is how, if you watch the nightly news, precious little attention is being given to the extraordinary economic dislocation that's occurring. And we talked earlier, Bob, and even before the numbers start coming out, back a month and a half ago, we were talking about the fact that, hey, when you've got this kind of economic dislocation, the number of deaths from suicides and drug abuse and so on and so forth are extraordinary, but they are more difficult to immediately ascertain. What we see now is something that in several months we're going to be reaping the whirlwind, and it's not going to get the kind of attention on the national news for a variety you know how politicized, <laughs> you even politicized a virus. But it won't get the attention, but the amount of carnage is going to be profound. I know I've seen it in my little practice, uh, in my little corner of the universe in terms of being an employment lawyer. We, we've seen this kind of echo effect occur when we've had other downturns. But it's, it doesn't make the nightly news, so it doesn't get the attention of the governors. 
and they think they're doing God's work, and most of them are, or some of them at least, are well-intentioned. I'm not going to get the heads of everybody, but let's just give them the presumption of good intentions. Mm-hmm. But good intentions is not going to, uh, you know, help the families who can't put food on the table, whose, you know, breadwinners have been out of work, and a lot of these jobs, I don't mean to be pessimistic, but it's just the natural course of things. A lot of these jobs won't be coming back. This is extraordinary what's going on here, and the governors are, are not, they're not being very smart about that. The, the information they're not being very honest to, either. Yeah, Bob, you're exactly right. They, <clears throat> one of the things they want to do is cover up what they believe, what they now are starting to acknowledge are the, the extraordinary mistakes and overreactions that they were making. But starting as early as late March and early April, we saw evidence that this kind of approach was unnecessary. The evidence was accumulating rapidly, and no one, as I've said to you, Bob, when I've asked you to ask DeWine about this, ask him why he's not making adjustments to new facts in the reality. And they're right. not. They're not making appropriate adjustments. It's, 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 it's infuriating, as you can tell. They're I'm still running the state as if the initial model that they used was right. And and that was the model that uh, Amy Acton said showed that there are 100,000 people infected right now in early March. And, oh, by the way, we're going to reach a peak of 98,000 new cases per day in the state of Ohio. They're still acting as if those models were right, as if... You know, it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to, if we allow people to go back to work, we're going to have 98,000 a day. There's no accounting for the new reality. Um, and the actual science, everybody says, listen to science, let the science decide. Well, the science says this is not happening the way they thought it would. And here's the thing that's most frustrating. People wrap with this. Mike DeWine's uh, statement yesterday, and he also tweeted it, our restaurant group uh, has been working very hard, and they are nearly finished with their plan. Within the next several days, we'll be rolling out the protocol for reopening restaurants. We'll also be able to announce a reopening date then. As if this, you know, every day that goes by, Every day, more restaurants close for good. They're trying to keep their head above water. They're trying to stay alive, but they close for good every single day. And he's acting like, well, this is okay. We got a nice little pace here going. We got people working on it. They're thinking about it, and we're going to announce something a few days later. Then we'll announce a date after that. I mean, Pete, this if there is any emergency here, it is the emergency to get businesses back on a paying basis, get people back working again. And they're acting like this is something they can just take their good old sweet time with. Yeah, I agree. Bob, I think my own personal view is I think Mike DeWine is acting uh, with good intentions. I think he's well-meaning, but good intentions and being well-meaning is not enough. This is the time to step up and take some hard looks at the data and make smart decisions, not just well-meaning decisions. This is the time when you have to step up and do things that are you're getting paid for. This is why you get paid the big bucks. But one other thing about that, Bob, the new models that have come out from the uh, IHME, that, that same organization, along with uh, Cambridge model, came out and said initially 2.2 million Americans were going to die, and then they revised it down to 200,000, then 100,000, then it went down to 68,000. Now, the one that came out yesterday, I think it was the day before yesterday, is going back up to between 120,000 and 200,000. Why this is getting any attention is beyond me. These guys have been so wildly wrong that yep. shouldn't... I mean, the, the reporters who are reporting this with a straight face should be asking, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Because of your models, we have trashed the economy, thrown tens of millions of people out of work, taken extraordinary measures, and now you're coming up with something again and asking us to believe it? The burden of proof is on you as to why we should accept any of this stuff. You may be right, but my goodness, you've 
screwed everything up so badly, so many people have been harmed by it, that we're going to take a very skeptical view. Right. But you don't see that from the mainstream media, do you? Pete, Pete my only disagreement with you is that uh, Mike DeWine is well-intentioned. I think his ego is running his show for him. I think he loves the attention. He loves being on the cover of Time. He loves getting all of the, hey, he's America's governor because he was the first one out in front of this, and et cetera, et cetera. I think he is doing this for personal glorification. I do not think it's well-intentioned, and that's the only thing I'll disagree with. The rest of it, brilliance from Peter Kersenow, as always. Peter, thank you, my friend. Thanks, Bob. That's Kirsten now uh, for Tuesday. We'll get one short segment right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten fifty six. final segment, a short one as always, and let's get a, a few phone calls in here to wrap it up, including Navy man Norm, who's been there for a while. Norm, thanks for your patience and your stamina, my friend. Go right ahead. Not a problem. Uh, it took me all the five minutes to go online, Bob, and file a formal civil rights complaint against the medical director of Ohio, Dr. Amy Atkin. And the basis of my civil rights complaint was that she has deprived me of my constitutional rights, in particular, my right to assemble and my right to worship my God in my church. She is arbitrarily close to churches, not the governor. Amy Acton. So I filed a formal civil rights complaint against her with the federal government. So let's see what happens. I Maybe love other that. people. And more people need to do that. No, we do. We, we really do. And, you know, there's also lawsuits that have been filed uh, by attorneys on behalf of businesses that have been closed down, also naming Amy Acton, not Mike DeWine. You know, he doesn't want anybody to target her because he's the governor, but he appointed her, and he's the one who declared this to be a state of emergency, which gave her this broad power to be kind of enacted by the, uh, the Ohio Revised Code. So absolutely, uh, Amy Acton is the one calling the shots here. She should be the target of lawsuits, complaints, and everything else. Yeah, you just go out to the EEOC website. It took me all the five minutes, and I got my case number and everything. So I'll keep you posted as Excellent. to how it progresses. Please but do. But now their latest, mantra, <clears throat> their latest mantra, Bob, is you're selfish if you want to keep your liberty and freedom. You're being selfish. That's, That's exactly right. Mantra. That's what they're saying to yeah. anybody who won't wear a mask, too. And thank you for the call, Norm. People are saying that if you don't wear a mask, you're selfish and you don't care about other people. Uh, I've got strong responses for that that I can't use on the radio. Erica in Illyria, real quick, Erica, go right ahead. Hey, Bob, I'm uh, Erica, 5th of November on Twitter that's been DMing you. Anyways, when they release thousands or hundreds of prisoners from you know, prison, but then they arrest law-abiding citizens going to a park. It's not about your health. <laughs> now, That's I remind right. people what happened back in 1989 in Romania, and they had a revolution. Um, I'm not. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, violence. Erica. I'm not going to be able to hear about Romania right now because of the clock. I apologize. Call me back tomorrow earlier in the show, and I will put you on. You can tell me the rest of that story. But you're exactly right. It's not about health if they're releasing prisoners because of the health conditions in the jail, but then they're threatening to throw people into that jail for going to the park. Thanks so much for the call. Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye.